episode, what is the magical power of storytelling? How do stories create attachment? Gather round, let me tell you a story. Those are the magical words that you remember from your childhood, told by parents, told by teachers. Gather round. And we did. That was the power of story. Why? How did story have that emotional hold upon us? And what kind of role does it play even today in business, in society, in our personal lives? Well, storytelling occupies a special place in the human psyche because we are the only animal known to tell stories. We are the storytelling ape. Which is interesting because if you look at the genetic makeup of the human being, Homo sapiens and the chimpanzee, there is less of a difference between our genetic makeup than there is between a horse and a zebra. You know, characteristically looking from the outside, a horse and a zebra look identical with different patterns, but they are more different than the human and the chimpanzee. How is that possible? And how is it that the chimpanzee is what we know and the human beings listen to podcasts? So what's going on? Well, storytelling is our cultural cloud. What I mean by that is go back, go back to the beginnings of human history and Recently, there was a discovery in an Indonesian cave on an island. The team of Australian and Indonesian researchers say they found cave paintings, which were nearly 40,000 years old. And this was on the island of Sulawesi up north in Indonesia. And it showed eight human-like beings hunting six animals. The animals believed to be buffaloes or some kind of pig. And the story it told was of a communal hunt, a game drive. And you had the humans carrying ropes and spears hunting the animals. This was a story that would have been told around campfires, fireplaces in caves for thousands of years. Um, For what purpose? What kind of role does this play within our consciousness? It's not just a nice fuzzy element of human history, human society. It's vital. It's the cultural cloud. Think about it this way. Go back to the evolutionary data is that human beings, so Homo sapiens achieved a point or reached a point in our collective evolution where we decoupled our evolution from our physical frame. What do I mean by that? Is if, for example, human beings had to become better hunters, then how would they have done that? Well, they would have selectively bred over thousands of generations through Darwinian selection. Maybe they became faster with longer legs or more carnivorous teeth or they may have been better at camouflage, may have had camouflage pigmentation in their skin or night vision. But the time frame for such evolution doesn't happen in generations. It happens in thousands, millions of years. And for human beings to evolve faster, they had to some way decouple 
their learning and their advancement from their physical frame. They had to somehow transfer information and the experiments and the hypotheses they tested throughout an individual's lifetime to the next generation beyond their genetic code. Because the only way animals can do that is by transferring it biologically from parent to child. There are no texts. Animals don't write books. Animals don't write stories. They don't tell stories. So therefore, the information transferred from parent to child are mostly genetic and to some degree behavioral. But if that was lost from parent to child in one generation, it would have then been lost from that child to the child's descendants. Now, the point being, if you want to transfer information, like, for example, information about how to hunt or where to find pigs or buffaloes or the best season to hunt or where to find watering holes or what berries not to eat or etc. That information to be transferred through generations had to be decoupled from our biology. And that's where storytelling comes in. It's our cultural cloud. The fact that I am telling you this now and sharing this with you as a story is in its own way a cultural cloud. You don't have to evolve to learn this information yourself. You can get it from our cloud, which is this collection, this patchwork of cultural content, which is transferred from generation to generation, from one tribe to another tribe, from one individual to another individual. The fact that you can access the internet is an extension of our cultural cloud. So, if you look at the curves of evolution, biological evolution is incremental. It's incremental with small disruptive steps, which are driven by chance or changes in the evolutionary fitness landscape. However, the exponential curve is storytelling. So imagine two curves, the bottom curve, which is a line, which is a slow incremental increase, which is our biological evolution of the brain and our physical form. And then this layered on top, this exponential curve that scales rapidly, decoupling from our physical frame. That is storytelling. That is why we tell stories. Now, it's also a reason why the human brain has a high level of what is called neural plasticity. Let me explain is that Al Capone famously was assassinated. He was shot in the head from a rival mafia gang hitman. Um, but whilst they blew out a large percentage of his brains, he was still alive. He still could function reasonably well. The fact that he'd lost a significant percentage of his brain didn't render him useless. And this is testament to neural plasticity. The fact that our brain, in many respects, is plastic, agile, adaptable. It can change. It can evolve. And that is why when a baby giraffe is born, it can stand on its feet within hours and pretty much function as an adult giraffe can. It can move around, it can eat, it can milk, it can understand danger and run away. Yet, 
a human baby is pretty useless. Anybody who's had one will know that the first six months of nurturing the baby is pretty much just keeping the thing alive. It can't do anything apart from look cute and regurgitate its food. You know, you put the human baby out in the wild, that thing would perish very quickly. And the same with human children. They wouldn't last very long. It would take them many, many years before they could develop the skills to survive on their own. And there is a distinct reason for this. This is part of the plan. Neuroplasticity is a deliberate evolution of the human brain to allow for software. So if you consider, for example, much of the animal kingdom is very much designed around hardware. You know, we marvel at animal abilities to perform feats and stunts of physical prowess. You know, look how long they can hold their breath underwater. Look at this lizard climbing up the wall. By comparison, human beings are pretty useless at everything. But unlike the animals that have very adapted and fine-tuned hardware, the human beings have a very flexible and agile software. So whilst our hardware is pretty useless, we wouldn't survive a hand-to-hand fight with a tiger or any beast or even a dog in some respects. However, we can easily outmaneuver them or develop tools to fight these animals and at least tame them, master them. And that is our software. And human storytelling forms a key part of that software. It's adaptable. What I mean by that is, for example, the stories that we tell about ourselves, particularly identities, evolve over time. There was a time in human history when it made sense, potentially, that the females stayed in the cave and looked after the young or maybe foraged for berries in a you know reasonable proximity of the cave but in safety when the men of the tribe went and hunted for those those pigs and those mammoths and those buffaloes that made sense evolutionarily thousands of years ago and therefore gender roles are built around those biological differences that you're going to have to have this specialization of the species that one is going to look after the children and one is going to get food. You look at the animal kingdom, that's pretty much shared as a responsibility. In many cases, both parents do that. I mean, look at the penguins, for example. One looks after the egg, the other one goes and hunts fish, and then they swap. So, But in the human society we had evolved this specialization and it made sense. So therefore, the stories we told about gender roles inculcated that behavior and those social norms for thousands of years. You know, what started as a good reason for the survival of the species then became inculcated and institutionalized within society such that women and men had very defined roles. Yet, over time, that had to evolve. A great example of that being the First World War. That What happened in the First World War was many men, many young men, were sent to the trenches in Flanders, in Belgium, in France to fight. And millions were killed. 
what then happened and adding to that the spanish flu pandemic which hit the much of the 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 world that had been involved in the first world war in 1918 wiped out millions it's particularly men what that left the world with in 1918 was a huge shortage in the male workforce what had happened in the absence of uh, men at the home front in the war period, the First World War, is that women had been called up to man the munitions factory. So, you know, women were putting together the mechanics and the weapons and the bombs and the bullets and the materials of war whilst men were going and dying on the front line. What happened then was is when few men came back, women were now used to being in a position of work or having an importance within society. And it was no coincidence that in 1918, for example, women won the right to vote and an extended right to vote in the United Kingdom, for example, and New Zealand, another example, as a result of the war. Now, you think about that societal shift. If we had biologically evolved, then it may have taken thousands of generations before we could have accepted the role of women and adapted such that, you know, it, it made no no more sense that we kept women in the caves and foraging for berries because they could perform an equal, as equal if not better role in society economically than men. So we had to evolve as a result. And that's why our cultural cloud played a role in the evolution, the societal evolution of the human species. So we had to tell different stories about men and women and our roles within society and the groups that we belong to. So the software aspect of human consciousness, our personality, our collective psychology allows us to evolve, allows us to adapt, allows us to accommodate change. And that change may be huge adverse situations like World War I. It may also be the COVID pandemic. It allows us to adapt to the environment and change behaviors, which could have taken thousands of years if we put it purely down to evolution and chance. So I started off talking about how stories create connection, how stories create engagement, how stories help gather around. Well, if you think about it, that leaders have always told stories to create identities. The American way, the American dream is a story. It doesn't exist. There is no text that actually outlines the American dream. That is stored in our cultural cloud, in movies and in books and in the life stories of individuals who've lived it. And it's perpetuated from parents to children, perpetuated on TV, everywhere we look. So these stories have a powerful role in shaping identity, 
and we can choose to belong to these stories or not. And they are extremely powerful. Many times we don't know just what stories we allow to shape our lives. And in many ways, we are unaware of how powerful they are, how limiting or empowering stories can both be. You know, the Berlin Wall fell overnight in one evening where it stood for 30 or 40 years simply because people stopped believing in the story of East and West Europe, in the story of communism in the free world, in the story of the Berlin Wall. It fell in one evening. And in the same way, when they train young elephants, have you ever wondered how when you see these massive beasts, the adult elephants, that they can hit them with a tiny little stick and they will obey their command, or they can tie them with a chain to a stake in the floor. That elephant can knock over trees and push down the walls of a house. How? How is this elephant pinned, tied, trapped by something so flimsy and immaterial? Well, the reason is, is they take the young elephants, these baby elephants, these Dumbo-like cartoon character creatures, and then they tie a chain around their leg and they stake the uh, stick into the floor. And if the baby elephant tries to pull the stick out of the ground, they beat it with a stick or they spike it. This is a known practice in elephant mahouts or palm training as they call it in Southeast Asia. And it's one of the reasons why many people encourage us not to go and visit elephant shows because those baby elephants have been trained very cruelly from a young age to behave in a docile way. But the thing is, is that baby elephant learns the story at a young age, associates this behavior with pain and this outcome. And then even when it's 10 years old and weighing 10 plus tons and could crush a man with one of those feet. It will not dare to pull that stick out of the ground still because it learnt the story as a child. And that is the power of story. It can both create connection and it can imprison us. And that's why storytelling is an extremely powerful tool for leaders to be used in the right way. And of course, absolutely used and abused in the wrong way. Every single tyrant that got to power did so because of a story he told, particularly a story that defined identities, them and us, Hitler, Trump, these I would say tyrannic leaders in many cases have risen to power by defining the in and the out group and using stories and retelling those stories to create those definitions. And yet stories can also be used for extremely positive connections. The stories told about African slaves in America, the the first stories about the trials of the slaves on the slave ships, which were distributed to literate slaves and to white 
slaves, the liberal, sorry, the white middle classes, the liberal classes who were interested in reading these stories, that created an empathy and a connection between the slave owners, maybe the non-slave owners, but the white middle classes and slaves by telling their stories, humanizing the content. That's the power of a story. And that was a key tool in the liberation and the emancipation of slaves after the American Civil War in 1865. And also, if you think about it, that these stories can create powerful results. I've talked before about John F. Kennedy taking mankind to the moon. That was a story in a world of black and white TV and the Apollo program space, the Apollo space program computer that only had four megabytes of RAM. But that story garnered the creativity and the problem-solving capability of 400,000 engineers to get us to the moon. That is the power of story. And that is the power of using story to gather around. So stories have that effect on us. They speak deep to our psyche and our soul. And there is a strong evolutionary case for why we are responsive to storytelling because it was the those within us in the early days that were responsive to stories and had brains that were responsive to stories that were also able to absorb cultural information for example the hunting trails of animals tools used, seasons, poisons, traps, dangers, better than those who weren't.